0: Amen. We've been checking in this month, and so we're, uh, we're glad you're here live and in person. Uh, we hope that even after this series ends today and we do something starting in July, that you'll keep sending us pictures. That was fun to see where folks are, so keep checking in with us. We've sort of checked in theologically. We looked at the Ascension. Uh, we looked at Pentecost. We looked at uh, uh, the Trinity Uh, And so we're kind of wrapping all that up today uh, with this idea of checking in our expectations uh, about who God is and where we are, how we fit in uh, to all of that as well. So let's look at our scripture. It's from the ninth chapter, the end of the ninth chapter of Luke, verses 51 to 62. As the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up into heaven, he determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him. Along the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the Samaritan villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? But Jesus turned and spoke sternly to them, and they went to another village. So, um, we're going to look today at uh, this idea of expectations. And so, I think we have a little graphic of expectations versus reality. Yeah. So, maybe that uh, is how your expectations go. What, what you hope and think and, and kind of envision what's about to happen uh, doesn't always uh, sort of work out that way. So we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time this morning in the ninth chapter of Luke. If you've got the Bible or can pull it up on your phone or your tablet or if you pull one out of the pew there uh, and take a look, we're just we're going to race through this ninth chapter, 62 verses. Uh, uh, But uh, there's a whole lot in there, and it's fascinating to look at the expectations of the disciples, of Jesus, of Herod, of the crowd, of all these folks uh, kind of running together. It's kind of like a horse race uh, or a NASCAR race. Uh, And they're coming around the back stretch and the final curve and headed to home, and everybody's sort of jockeying for position. And even if you uh, remember, as we we read the 51st verse, as the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up into heaven, he turned or determined uh, to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus is is rounding that last curve, and he's headed towards the finish line. Uh, And it's funny to watch everybody jockeying for position of how who Jesus is, where he's going, what he's going to do, how this is going to work, what's going to happen, uh, and you see all this in this, uh, this chapter. It's fascinating. Uh, they're all jockeying for position based on their expectations, what they bring, what they want, what they're looking for, what they've been taught, what they feel, what they hope uh, is about to happen. So Jesus has had these expectations. The disciples have had uh, expectations, and we'll see that. The Pharisees had them. Herod has them. The crowd has them. And we have them too. When we read the Bible, when we come to church, when we talk about faith, when we think about spirituality, we have certain expectations of how we think that ought, ought to work. Uh, What we bring, what we've been taught, what we think, what we hope, we bring all of that together. But we need to notice that as Jesus rounds the curve and heads towards Jerusalem, an interesting thing is going to happen in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to end up on a cross, and I want you to kind of think today in terms of of uh, maybe maybe a a different way of seeing the cross, and I'd like you to sort of meditate on that this week, that the intersection of the, the cross as we look at it today is more like a collision because when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, He dies. He's put on the cross and He's killed. It's not just an intersection. It's not just a joint, uh, that's fancy. Um, It's it's a collision. It's a violent collision. And I want you to see today. I want us to see as we look at this passage, that the expectations that everybody has, as they come together in Jerusalem, is a violent collision. It's not pretty. And, and I think Jesus is trying to help us see that, that out of death comes new life, but that death is painful. And death sort of necessitates this, this collision that, that we're going to see. So, and, and that happens in our lives all the time. Back the graphic of expectations and reality, it's, it's different. And so, speaking of collisions... We have two dogs. Eva is a Great Dane mix. Uh, She's 10 years old. And Baxter, that's not Eva, uh, but uh, looks a lot like that. Baxter is a boxer that we have that's about five years old. And so they play together. They do a lot of things together. Eva has cancer and is not going to be around much longer. And so Sherry and I decided that we wanted to get, and back up, Eva is the best dog in the whole world. Uh, and so uh, we wanted to get a, a puppy to bring in so that Eva could rub off and that the puppy would be the second best dog in the world. Baxter, the boxer, just isn't in the running for the second best dog in the world. Baxter's a great dog, but just not in the same sort of category as Eva. And so we thought, again, expectations. I heard some of y'all laughing. Expectations. This is what Sherry and I actually talked about this. Let's bring the puppy in and let Eva just rub off on the puppy. So this is what we got, the picture uh, an eight-month-old, and it's 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 that kind of dog. That's an older dog. I didn't have a good picture of my puppy, so uh, Luna is a eight-month-old uh, Cane Corso Mastiff, um, and and so we brought a fifty-pound puppy into our house. So again, our expectations are here. The reality of a 50-pound puppy in our house is way all over here. Uh, it's a mess. Uh, she's as sweet as she can be, uh, but it, it's 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 fun. And so uh, we're still hoping that uh, evil will rub off a little bit onto uh, Luna, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. So let's... Let's go back and, and sort of charge through chapter 9 uh, of Luke, if you will. And so Luke chapter 9 starts off with two events where Jesus is trying to, kind of like Sherry and I with the puppy, uh, trying to control the, the expectations. Jesus is trying to say, hey, here's where we're going. Everybody else is over here going this way, and Jesus is trying to corral everybody and say, here, here's some ideas to think about. And so the first story, chapter 9, starts off with Jesus gathering uh, the disciples, verses 1 through 6, and he sends them out with two points to uh, point to God, talk about God, and to heal the sick. So, Jesus is saying, okay, our agenda, our scope, your power, our work is in this direction. Uh, Point to God, heal the sick. And then drop down a few verses, uh, verses 10 through 17. uh, People are hungry. uh, They come to Jesus, send them away. Jesus says, no, you feed them. And so, again, uh, Jesus' expectations uh, is that God is generous and God, as we sang about so wonderfully in the songs that we sing, uh, God is for us. He's on our side. He's, he's working with us. God wants to do good things uh, in our lives. And so Jesus is trying uh, as he's rounding this final turn and headed towards the finish line, he's trying to guide the conversation and the expectations around serving, healing and loving. OK? So kind of hold that off over here. This is what Jesus is trying to do. In between these two stories, in verses 7 through 9, in between the disciples and the the feeding, is a story of Herod. Herod, it says uh, in that seventh verse, is confused. He's hearing about Jesus And people are saying Jesus is like John the Baptist, but Herod killed John the Baptist, so he's confused as to who Jesus is. Herod thought when he killed John the Baptist, he wiped out this whole contingent of folks running off uh, in this religious direction. So he's confused. His expectation was he dealt with it, it's over, and he can move on with his life, but here it comes again. So it's not dealt with, it's not over. Uh, and God is at work in this weird way these people are, and what's it going to take to end this? Verses 18 through 27, we're going to rush through this. We're going pretty quick. Um, Jesus uh, decides to just sort of ask the question, what are people's expectations? What are people's thoughts about who I am? So he turns to the disciples and he says, who do they say that I am? He leads the disciples in this discussion of who Jesus is, who people says he is, what's the word on the street, uh, what are the expectations that people have? And so the disciples say, well, you know, all these different things, they, they're, they're not really sure. And then he turns the question to the disciples, and this is, this is fascinating. He turns the, the question to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, you're right. Uh, And flesh and blood didn't give you that answer, but the Spirit of God working in you. And then Jesus says, all who want to come after me, to follow me, are going to have to go through the cross. They're going to have to take up their cross. Jesus is acknowledging that for us to follow Jesus, for us to know God, for us to uh, understand who God is and what God's doing, for us to understand who we are and, and what our, our reason for being here is, is going to go through the cross. But Jesus is trying to help them see that that's a collision. It's not an easy path, that when we come to that place of the world's view of everything, and God's view of everything, when those two paths, divergent paths, come together, it's a collision, it's a violent collision, it's earth-shattering, it's life-changing. When we get to that point in our lives where we have to decide between God and the world, that those are two completely different directions uh, as we see here in this story. Verse 37 to 43, Jesus illustrates this a little further. A boy is brought to the disciples that's sick. The disciples pray. They can't heal him. They bring him to Jesus. Jesus heals him because still the disciples are operating out of a worldview that's not yet God. And Jesus says, until you get on board, until you have this collision, until you go through the cross and come out the other side, you're just not going to get it. In verses 46 to 48, just this little piece. So, So you see, as we're going through this chapter, it's just... Uh, kind of like that picture of the the uh, reality just going all in different places Jesus uh, Luke is bringing in all of these different conflicting ideas of who Jesus is, what God is about, what 's going on, what reality is, where god 's going where uh, where people are going, where the world's going, where uh, the spirit's taking us, and all of these are coming together and so and the disciples aren 't immune in verses forty six to forty eight <coughs> excuse me. The disciples are arguing, so Jesus is rounding the curve. He's headed towards the finish line, to Jerusalem. He says, we're going to Jerusalem. The disciples are, are, are excited. Something's up. Something's going to happen. They think it's a good thing, uh, and it's going to be a great thing, and so they start arguing with themselves. When Jesus gets on the throne... When Jesus overthrows Herod, when Jesus runs the Romans out of town, when Jesus does this great thing, when Jesus becomes like the modern day David, who's going to sit on Jesus' left side and right side? You see where their head is? It's a worldview of power. Jesus is the most powerful thing, person, entity, being they've ever seen. They can't wait for Jesus to take his rightful place on this throne. That's the conversation the disciples are having with one another, and they see themselves as profiting from that relationship that they've forged with Jesus. We have walked all of this way with Jesus. We have Pitched our tent with Jesus. We have uh, built an alliance with Jesus, and so therefore there's a reward for us. Power brings this uh, entitlement that we get because we've hitched our wagon to Jesus. And so they say to Jesus, uh, they're arguing, Jesus comes and he goes, guys. And he points back, he goes, Were you paying attention in verses 1 through 6? He doesn't really say that because the Bible wasn't written in. He goes, were you paying attention? Power is this. It's serving. It's loving. It's giving. It's giving of yourself. It's laying your life down. It's going in a whole different way. When Jesus first comes on the scene, The first thing that Jesus does publicly is to say, when he begins to preach, he says, repent. That word's a little misused and out of place. The the correct idea is turn. So what Jesus was saying to people in his first discourse with folks is, picture a large crowd all going this way. And Jesus stands over here and he goes, hey, hey. Everybody's facing the other way, going that way, the whole crowd. And Jesus stands all by himself over here, waving his arms, and he says, repent, which means turn. You're going the wrong way. (laughs) Turn and come this way. Jesus has come to tell us that the world has taken us in the wrong direction, that if we want the peace, the hope, the joy, everything that we're looking for in life, it's not that way, it's this way. And that's what I mean, and that's what Jesus is talking about, that this worldview and this God view, God plan, when they come together at that intersection, it's a collision. It's a whole reorientation of what life is and what goals are and what success is and what entitlement is. And it's not that, it's something different. And Jesus is saying, pay attention to what I'm doing and saying and seeing. And they don't get it, and they're not going to get it until after the resurrection. Uh, And so Jesus is laying all this groundwork, but the disciples are fighting over who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit in the right and left of of Jesus on this throne. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not a world kingdom. It's completely different. In verse 49 to 50, same thing. The disciples are complaining. Somebody's healing, but they're not doing it according to the rules. Don't you love that? In the church, we really get upset about that. Um, If uh, folks don't follow the right protocol, if they don't follow in the Methodist church the book of discipline, uh, then you can't do it that way. You have to do it this way. Weddings are done this way, not that way. Funerals, worship, liturgy, all of those kind of things. You have to do it the right way, or the religious leader folks get upset. And so the, uh, this person's doing good work, but he's not doing it according to the rules. And so the disciples say, uh, do you want us to take him out? And uh, uh, Jesus says, no, it's okay. Just let it go. Well, the same sort of thing happens in the, in the Scripture that we read. So I'm out of breath. We've just raced through all of the ninth chapter of, uh, of Luke, and we're getting back to the Scripture passage this morning. So, in 51, same thing is happening. Um, people aren't resp- uh, responding. They're going through Samaritan. They don't give Jesus the praises that the disciples want. So, the disciples say, again, a world view of things, hey, these folks aren't on board with us. Shouldn't we kill them? Is that, that, so that's how we solve problems, right? People that we disagree with, we just take them out. Uh, people that we disagree, we put down. People that we disagree with, we belittle. People that we disagree with, we somehow make small so that we can be whatever we think we are. And Jesus again goes... And it says that Jesus, you know, blows them off. And he says, no, we don't kill them because they disagree or don't perform according to our expectations. We love them anyway. We work with them. We recognize that we're all a part of the same family uh, of God. Jesus is frustrated. The expectations, how do you change that? How do you get people on board? Uh, how does Jesus, uh, how long does he wave at people? You're going the wrong way. Please turn. Come and go this way. If you want life, it's this way. So last week, we, uh, if you were here, we asked you to take these little cards, come up and get them, And why are you here and what keeps you here? And so if you didn't get one of these, we'd love you to, uh, if you weren't here last week, grab one, fill it out, put it in one of the baskets uh, before you leave today. Uh, We'd like to know that. But some of the responses of why you're here uh, are connection, love, worship, the music, the openness, Uh, The opportunities for service, belonging, people, friendships, non-judgments, healing, community, peace, Roswell Kids. And some of the reasons why what keeps you here were worship, I feel at home here, I was raised here. Uh, Kids or parents, to hear, to follow, to grow, to check in with God because this is a safe place. To connect, to reflect, a respite from the stress, to draw closer to God, to recharge. This represents our expectations, doesn't it? To some degree, our hopes, what we hope to find and what we hope to get. And so for, I think for a lot of us, uh, there's a draw We're drawn into this community. We're drawn into this place. We're drawn into a closer walk with God. Uh, But if if I can push this image a little bit further, it might be that you're drawn close, but to really find what it is that you're looking for, you're going to have to go through the cross. You're going to have to endure this collision The worldview and all the things you hope, dream, expect that the world is guiding you in is going to have to come to grips with the reality that Jesus is talking about. And for some of us, that's a violent collision. It changes everything in our life. It's a reorienting of everything in our life around a new idea, new ideal, new hope. We've been taught that if we do this and this and this, the world will give us all that we want. Jesus is saying, no, it won't, but that I will, but that following me necessitates this walk through the cross, and that can be painful. That can be confrontational. That can be a little messy, like training a 50-pound puppy. The disciples are struggling with who we are. Where are we going? What are we doing? Jesus comes, and the very first thing he says is, repent, turn. You're going the wrong way. He illustrates that. In the story of the prodigal son, one does it this way, one does it that way. When he says you can't serve two masters, when he says seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will fall into place. When the Old Testament says trust in the Lord, not in your own understanding. When Joshua says to the people of Israel, choose today who you will serve. I want to invite you this week, maybe, sometimes illustrations, metaphors are helpful, sometimes they're not, sometimes they connect, and sometimes they don't, so I don't want to push this on you, but, uh, but I want you to know, I, I, I've been preaching, uh, doing religious stuff for a long time, and I don't take sermons, old sermons, and rewrite them. I just can't do that. I did that the first couple of times I preached here because I, I liked two sermons. But from then on, I, I I believe that God is speaking through me, with me, uses me. That was my bargain with God when I signed up for all this, uh, specific to a time and a place. And so I struggle every time I preach with the congregation that I'm preaching to and what God is saying to me today. This isn't an old sermon that I like that I've dusted off. This is something I feel like God is sharing with me today, uh, sharing with us today. It's new to me, and it's challenging me to think in terms of a cross as a collision. So I want to push that metaphor with you this week and just leave it with you to consider, to meditate on, to think through. What if the cross really does represent a collision where what we want, where we're going, what we're doing, what our worldview is, needs in some places to really collide with God, and that God might need for our hopes and expectations of what we want and how we expect God to perform for us, maybe that all needs to die and something else grow in its place. So I'd like you to think if you wear a cross or have a cross or put a cross somewhere and kind of consider this week, let God speak to you through it. Is that intersection, what if that is a collision and God's directing you to that? So in the responses that you gave about Chapel Roswell and what you get and what your expectations are, I I think for a lot of us, those are hopes, dreams, expectations of what we want. But we may be getting close to that and staying comfortably around it. But to really get what we want, we might have to walk through it. Does that make sense? We might have to walk through this cross. We might have to walk into what God is calling us to do and be to see things from God's perspective and lay down, let die what we want in order to receive what God is doing in our life. My life is short. God's been around for eons. I trust God to guide my life. I won't, I, I don't, I, I, I won't presume that in my short life that I've got it all figured out and that I know what's best for Jeff. I just can't fathom that I'm that smart. So I want to align myself with what God is doing, because I know that God, just as we sang this morning, God's best, God's call, God's direction in my life is what I want, not what I want. Let us pray. God, I recognize this morning that uh, we're pulled in so many different directions. In a lot of ways, we're like 50-pound puppies trying to live life. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to know who to listen to and who to follow. And so we hear voices pulling us one way. And even in the Christian world, we hear different voices pulling us in different ways. So I ask you to guide us, lead us, give us wisdom, give us good mentors, give us good guides. Help us to see your way. Help us to be willing, courageous enough to walk right through that intersection so that we come out on the other side in your presence and in your best for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.